0: Happy Easter, huh? <laughs> uh, once again, I want to welcome you. I really am glad to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Dion, and for those of you who don't know me very well, um, I want to tell you a little bit about me. Uh, the first thing you should know is I'm from the great state of Michigan, which, uh, which means a couple things. Yeah, Michigan, yeah, uh, which means I'm loving college basketball right now. Uh, sorry for some of you, but uh, it's, it's been good. Uh, what that also means, being from Michigan, is that while, you know, we make grumble and complain that it's so cold outside today, growing up in Michigan, we experience basically two seasons, winter and road construction. <laughs> so don't complain about this. Uh, and then the other thing that uh, you need to know about me being from Michigan is that when people who are from Missouri or Illinois or Kentucky, Arkansas, when, when you all talk about going to the lake... <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's, it's so quaint. Um, I just, There should really be another word for what you're talking about, because that's called a dammed up river. Um, I, I come from a place where we have actual lakes. We're talking about the Great Lakes. Anyone been to one of the Great Lakes recently? Yeah, I mean, just, just amazing. Fresh water oceans, massive bodies of water that, uh, that surround our state and give it this really unique shape of, of two peninsulas, two peninsulas, no state like this, two peninsulas, lower peninsula, upper peninsula, that don't even connect, they don't touch. The closest they get to touching is right here in the Straits of Mackinac, it's called, um, it's a gap of about five miles in between these two land masses. And here's what's crazy to me, for 120 years of statehood, the, the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula of Michigan had no physical connection between the two of them. They ran some ferries between, but there was no connection between these two parts of our state at all until 1957. Do you know what happened in 1957? 1957 was the op- opening of the mighty Mackinac. The Big Mac, they call it, uh, the Mackinac Bridge. It was an amazing feat of engineering at the time, one of the largest suspension bridges in the world, spanning that five-mile stretch between the lower and the upper peninsula over the Straits of Mackinac. It took three and a half years to build, cost $100 million in 1950s money. Um, Now, in 1950, I think you could buy, like, a house, a car, a whole family for like a thousand bucks or something. So um, that, that was a lot of money back then, a hundred million dollars. It cost the lives of five workmen who um, died in the construction of this bridge. It's such a massive structure still to this day that it takes about seven years to paint it from one side to the other. And they say that as soon as they reach the, the one side, it's time to start all over again and begin repainting it. So it's chronically being repainted. And I was a kid, seven years old. Any seven-year-olds here today? Anyone seven? Be proud, seven. Um, I see some seven-year-olds. I was a kid seven years old the first time my family and I drove across this bridge. We were going to vacation in the Upper Peninsula, and I don't remember a whole lot about that vacation. This was the highlight of my vacation, going across the Mackinac Bridge, because in my mind, my seven-year-old mind, I'd never been in an airplane. I, th- this was insane that we were going to be driving in our car over the water for five years miles and we're talking about, you know, these great lakes and it's deep and it's cold and i remember just just being in awe and also being terrified of the fact that we are going to be away from land in the middle of this water for 5 Miles, I thought. You know, what, what happens if a big wind gust comes along? What happens if we drive off the road? Because I don't think my dad is a good enough driver for this. Um, you know, I don't know if he should be allowed on here. And 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 yet, I, as we as we drove across it, I just remember looking out and just seeing water and being up so high. And I was I was in awe of the experience. And I was especially amazed, again in my seven year old mind, of how anyone still my forty one year old mind is blown away by this. How, how anyone conceived of this. The planning, the, the structural integrity, you know, all of the things, wind resistance and, and rigidity and flexibility and, and all the things that go into building this, it just blew me away. I, I didn't understand how this could be done because, because bridges, I mean, they are fascinating. Still, they are so complex. Intense engineering goes into these things and when they're not done well, we know what happens. Um, they're costly. It cost a billion dollars almost today to build this bridge all over again. But in spite of that, bridges, they're lifelines. They're necessary. Yeah, yeah, they're complex, and they're difficult to build, and, and it costs a lot of money, and it costs people their lives, but they are lifelines. Without them, people couldn't be connected. Now, I know for those of you who are native to St. Louis, I'm preaching to the choir here in this river town because we've got our own fair share of bridges, r- really amazing bridges, and, uh, and you know if you're, if you're from this town... You understand the politics and the economics and all the other factors that go into bridge building. And you know that although they're necessary, although they're lifelines that connect two different communities, you know that bridges are complex. They're difficult to build. um, They're difficult to maintain. They're costly. But you know that they're necessary. And I think this is even truer, the, the idea that bridge building is necessary but it's costly, and it's complicated, it's difficult, it's complex. I think it's even truer when we take this less literally. Do you know what I mean? Because you look around our world today, and I don't know about you, but I see a world that's increasingly divided. A world where people are living in their own tribes, on their own islands of belief and ideology, doing their own thing. And, and, and no one's trying to talk to anyone else anymore. Why? Because bridge building is costly and it's difficult and it's complicated and who needs that? I see it in churches. You know, church leaders like me are guilty of this. Um, you know, we, we just want to build our own little kingdoms complete with moats to keep the bad guys out and the good people in so you can't go to the other church. We don't want to build bridges even to other, other uh, faith communities. And, and, and this is true. This is true interpersonally. You've all experienced the difficulty, the complexity, the cost of bridge building, haven't you? I know a couple, they're grandparents, and they, uh, they haven't seen their grandkids in years. And the reason they haven't seen their grandkids is because there was this misunderstanding, this feud, hurt feelings, you know, the stuff that happens in families. And so now these grandkids are growing up without their grandparents, their grandparents without their grandkids, and neither side is happy about this. But no one knows how to begin to cross that divide. I see it in marriages all the time, and some of you have experienced this personally or, or uh, along with a loved one you 've gone through this where two people who are married um, there 's maybe nothing fundamentally wrong with their relationship it 's just that things aren 't right, and so they choose to divide their household, divide their family, irreconcilable differences and, and you know if that 's been you i don 't sit in judgment of that i 'll tell you I understand how difficult marriage is i 've been married eighteen years now, some of you have been married a lot longer, and you can say it even more about that but but I, I realize that every day when you wake up in a marriage, it's like yesterday doesn't matter. It's like the Mackinac Bridge. You, you get to one side of painting it, you start all over again. You It's know, just oh, right over and over again. And every morning you wake up and it's, am I going to build a bridge today? And it's hard work and it's costly and it's exhausting. Increasingly, I'm seeing with our young people, and, and man, there's a lot written about this. It's, it's scary that our young people are finding themselves in these in these self-imposed prisons of isolation, living in loneliness. And uh, they're, they're not sure how to, how to bridge that to connect with other people in meaningful ways and aren't even sure how to let other people in who are trying to pursue them. And, and maybe that's not even young people. Maybe that's been the story of your life. See, bridge building... It's necessary. We, we need it to live. It, it connects us there. It bridges our lifelines, but it's so complicated, so difficult, so expensive, so costly. Generally speaking, we as people are terrible at building bridges. And that's why this series that we begin today is long overdue, and maybe for some of you it feels like it's too soon, but, but we're, we're starting the series Divided we fall, divided we fall. Those are words that Jesus first inspired and people have repeated them all throughout time, throughout history, and, and yet they're also a statement that helps us understand what's going on in our world. If you look around the world and you scratch your head and you're like, what's wrong with this place? I'll tell you what's wrong with this place. Bridge building is difficult and complex and costly. It's very expensive and it seems that we have stopped trying to build bridges, And instead, bridge burning has become almost a national pastime for us. And we're growing increasingly hopeless and cynical, thinking, you know what, the things that divide us, they're they're just too big, and the chasms are too wide, and and there's no way we can ever come back together. That's kind of, you know, we fall victim to this hopelessness, and I get it, I do too. But here's what I I want you to know today, I don't know if you realize this. But your very presence here today, your very presence joining us online, your presence gathered around this this thing that we celebrate today, it is evidence, it is evidence of the fact that even the greatest divisions in all the universe can be bridged. Do you realize that's what Easter is? Easter is a celebration of an impossible feat of bridge building. See, we learned this about our God from the beginning of time all throughout scriptures that our God is not afraid to cross divides. It doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter. He's not afraid of it. But we especially see it in the person of Jesus. You know, just a couple of months ago, we celebrated Christmas. I love Christmas. Because it's this this reminder that our God is not afraid of crossing any divide, that, that there was a time in history where God put on flesh, our flesh, and he walked on our soil. And he experienced our crazy weather from this side of it. And, and he sat at our table. And he lived life with us. And he submitted, this blows my mind, he submitted himself to our authority and our rules, even when the rules are dumb, even when even when the rulers were unjust and corrupt, he submitted himself to all of that. And, and if you watch Jesus live, I mean, this is what makes Jesus so fascinating. And if you haven't done this in a while, if you've never done this, I'd encourage you, starting today, starting tomorrow, open up one of the Gospels. You can get a free app on your phone if you don't have a Bible. Um, and just start reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, primarily, I'd, I'd read through those, maybe even John later, but Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, and just, just see How different Jesus is. Because as you watch Jesus live his life, he he does crazy things like, like he really does love his enemies. And you see him blessing those who persecute him rather than looking for ways to get even. And, and you see him turning the other cheek when people insult him and assault him. And you see Jesus living so differently. And, and what happens after years of living this way is that this starts to gain traction and people start to notice and, and suddenly cynical people who say, the world is so broken and we're never gonna come together and, and there's no way to do this and we're, you know, it's all just going down the tubes. They start to look at Jesus and, and, and this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven that he talks about. And they look at Jesus and they go, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's another way to live. Maybe there's a way that that we can come together. Maybe maybe there's another way to experience life that isn't so painful and broken and divided and, and violent and hostile. Maybe there's another way and just when this thing starts to catch, it takes this crazy plot twist that we just walked through this last week I wonder, how many of you know this guy? Timothy Treadwell? Any, anybody? A couple of people do. Uh, how about this? Maybe this will help you. How many of you have seen or heard of the documentary, The Grizzly Man? Okay, it's about this guy. Um, this guy is a, an interesting guy. He um, was a recovering drug addict who found solace out in nature and really felt a, a purpose or a calling to help protect um, animals. And so he lived in, during summers in the Alaskan wilderness and he lived amongst the grizzly bears. Now, a bunch of people thought he was crazy, and maybe he was, um, but he he was trying to promote a greater um, understanding and and to provide protection, and he lived amongst the grizzlies for about, I think, 12 or 13 summers, something like that, 12 or 13 summers, and just when he thought he had successfully bridged the gap between humans and these wild animals, um, brought understanding, helped protect them from poachers, This is a plot spoiler for you, but you didn't seem that interested, so I'm just going to tell you. When I brought up the movie, you are just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Um, uh, The end of the movie, um, after 12 or 13 seasons spending time with these grizzlies and thinking he had finally bridged the gap, one of the bears that he loved and protected turned on him, killed him and his girlfriend, and that was the end, right? This is what happens to bridge builders. And we look at a guy like that, and we say he's crazy and he's foolish, and maybe, but this is what we do to bridge builders, and so Jesus after giving his entire life to building bridges, showing us another way, loving his enemies, blessing those who persecute him, turning the other cheek, building bridges of understanding between God and us. After a lifetime of that, on Good Friday, the people he was sent to love and protect and show a new way, they turned on him and they killed him. And if you walked with us through this this last week or anywhere, um, I I don't know about you, but I I was here on Thursday night watching The Passion of the Christ and uh, then going through um, Good Friday service and and the amazing experience of this interactive prayer labyrinth uh, that we did. And if if you missed it, you missed out. It's really powerful. But but as 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 I walked through that, I was just reminded again of how hopeless that Friday must have been. See, as Jesus breathed his final breath, it surely seemed as if everything he had lived his life, given his life to do, was now coming undone. It was, it was being blown up, torn down, that it was all useless and pointless. As humanity said, no thank you, we're not interested. But then... After the Sabbath, early on Sunday morning, some women, they got up and, and they were going to the tomb. And they were going to the tomb for one reason. They were going to sift through the rubble of what had happened and, and to try to heal and to make sense of it. They weren't expecting anything big, but, but you know the story, we heard it. They come up to the tomb and the stone's been rolled away and Jesus is not there. And Instead, there are angels there and the angels say, he has risen, he is not here. And, and there's all this confusion and people don't understand what's going on. But when the fog clears that Easter morning, God's handiwork is revealed. And what we see, get this, what we see is that no act of human sabotage can stand up to the ingenuity of our God because what was God doing even through Good Friday and through his rest in the tomb and finally Easter, he was building a bridge to us. That's what Paul says. Let's look at these words from 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says, for Christ's love compels us, Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says something so important here. He says this whole thing, Jesus' death, his resurrection, it's not just about a death and a resurrection for Jesus. It's a death and resurrection for us. His death becomes our death and his life becomes our death. Life. This isn't just about Jesus, this is about you. He goes on, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. They, like us, have been made, uh, put to death and raised to life. Uh, So we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We could just just probably meditate on this for like two months and, and learn a lot from it. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So Paul says, you know what? You know what Easter is? You know what this is about? Easter Easter is, is, is us rubbing, it's really God, rubbing death's nose in the power of life, that life wins each and every time. That's what Easter is. Easter is a new creation that breaks into this crumbling old creation that has us feeling hopeless and cynical, living on our islands of, you know, trying to protect ourselves in refuge and not having to deal with it. Easter is new, a new creation that comes onto the scene when we least expect it. It's life triumphing over... Death. It is, it is a new creation triumphing over this broken, cynical, hopeless world. And then Paul goes a step further and he says, All of this, all of this is from God. It wasn't from us. We tried to sabotage it. We tried to blow it up. We tried to tear it down. Paul says, But God was doing something anyway. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, hear this message, be reconciled to God. And then he concludes this way, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul says something so important here. See, I, I think when it comes to Easter, our vision is too small. In the church, we talk a lot about how Jesus died on a cross to forgive our sins, right? We say that, Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. From the time we're young, that's, if you're raised in the church, that's what you're taught. And that's true, Paul says that's true. Jesus came so that the world's sins would not be counted against us anymore. Came to forgive our sins. But Paul says there's something bigger here than simple forgiveness. That forgiveness isn't the point. Forgiveness is a means to an end. The end is not forgiveness. The end is reconciliation. Now, if you've ever had to forgive someone who's done something um, really rotten, awful to you, you know how hard it is to forgive. I think what we we don't even begin to understand, even those of us who consider ourselves the most faithful, is not just what it means to forgive someone who's done something really awful to us, but but I don't think we can begin to understand what it means to be reconciled with someone who has done something really awful. And and if these concepts are confusing to you, um, there's a story that I want you to see and hear. Watch this.
1: When I met at Stillwater Prison, I wanted to know if you were in the same mindset as what I remember from court, where I wanted to go over and hurt you, but you were not that 16 year old. You were a grown man. I shared with you about my son.
2: And he became human to me. You know, when I met you, it was like, okay, this guy is real. And then when it was time to go, You broke down and started shedding tears, and the initial thing to do was just try to hold you up as best I can. Just hug you like I would my own mother, you know.
1: After you left the room, I began to say, I just hugged the man that murdered my son. And I instantly knew that all that anger and the animosity, all the stuff I had in my heart for 12 years for you, I knew it was over, that I had totally... Forgiving you.
2: As far as receiving forgiveness from you, sometimes I still don't know how to take it because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something that I'm learning from you. I won't say that I have learned yet because it's still a process that I'm going through.
1: I treat you as I would treat my son. And our relationship is beyond belief. We live next door to one another.
2: Yeah, so you can see what I'm doing. You know, firsthand.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. We actually bump into each other all the time, leaving in and out of the house. And our conversations, they come from, boy, how come you ain't called over here to check on me in a couple of days? You ain't even asked me if I need my garbage to go out. Uh I find those things funny because it's a relationship with a mother for real.
1: Well, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. You know, you're going to college. I'll have the opportunity to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married. Hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you.
2: Just to hear you say those things and to be in my life in the manner that which you are is my motivation. It motivates me to make sure that I stay on the right path. You still believe in me. And the fact that you can do it despite how much pain I'll cause you. It's amazing.
1: I know it's not an easy thing, you know, to be able to share our story together. So I admire that you can do this.
2: I love you, lady.
1: I love you too, son.
0: You see what our God has done? I mean, just think about it for a second. From a human point of view, if if someone... Took the life of your son And maybe some of you have gone through this I, I think there are a few of you who with enough time could, could forgive that person, let them off the hook so that they're no longer uh, being you know, held by your, uh, your anger and your desire for revenge, I think some of us could do that but to invite your son's killer to live next door to you under the same roof and to treat him as a son. That's something else, isn't it? And I don't want you to misunderstand for a minute. That's what God has done for us. See, it's not just that he's forgiven us. It's not just that you have a chance to, to throw the weight off of the past. It's not just that you get back to a neutral place where, where you're not burdened by who you were or what you did before. That's, that's a part of it. See, what God came to do through Jesus, what, what God wants for us is reconciliation. He wants to invite us to live under his roof, to be his daughters, to be his sons, to be in relationship with him. Look again at how Paul says this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, important words, because he doesn't say, if you're, a, if you're a Christian, that word wasn't even coined yet, Christian, if you go to church, if, if you're a good person, if you can say the Lord's Prayer through memory, if you've been confirmed in some church body. No, no, he says, if you're in Christ, and we'll talk about this, then the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Paul says, Paul says, God wants to make you new. Not just wipe away the bad, he, he wants to make you new. He wants to call you his own to give you a new identity, a new sense of purpose, a freedom that is, is boundless, a joy that is limitless. A sense of purpose that is, that is profound and focused. He wants to give that all to you. And I think the reason so many of us find faith or, or religion or church attendance or whatever you want to call it so uninspiring, so un, you know, just doesn't stick for us, we, we don't care much about it, is because we, we think it's about going to church or we think it's about doing the right things or being the right kind of person. That's not what it's about. See, Paul says what it's about. He says, "If anyone is in in Christ, today I want to ask you: Are you in Christ?" And again, I'm not asking you, "Do you go to church?" I'm not asking you, "Do you believe the right things?" I'm not asking you if you're a good moral person. I'm not asking you if you read the Bible daily. I'm not. not, not it's not so many of the things that we make it. And those things are important. They have their place. They are not the most important thing. That's not what this day is about. See, if, if you want to become new and if you want to become a part of making our world new, then it starts right here. Being in Christ. I, I remember a moment in my life where, where this just became so real to me. I was um, in college working a part-time job where I was a parking lot attendant. I was working in this little guard shack in a, a commercial bank in downtown Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it was a great job for a college student because I could sit and read a lot while I was at work and letting people in and out. And I remember, I don't even know what I was reading, but one day I was doing some reading and, uh, and I just remember, I remember it was a holy moment in this dirty little guard shack. It was this, this holy moment where I, where I just, I felt overwhelmed by this invitation from God into relationship. Now let me explain something. I I had been a churchgoer for most of my life. I professed Jesus. I believed in him. I'd received his gifts in baptism. I'd confirmed my faith. I was going to a Christian college and studying for ministry. So I already had a relationship with Jesus. I'm convinced of that. That's not what I'm saying. But I know that over the course of growing up, I think I I know I had gotten my focus wrong. And sometimes I had made it too much, this whole thing too much about what I knew and what I believed and making sure I believed the right things and, and did the right disciplines and behaved in, in the right way. And, and that day, I, I, j- I just remember God impressing on me this invitation to relationship. Saying, Dion, that, that's other stuff. It's getting in the way. See, what I want... What I sent my son for is to build a bridge to you so that I could live with you and you could live in me and that's what it's all about. That's the point. This morning, do you know that that's the point? And the other stuff, it's got its place. But the the point is this, that Jesus came into the world to forgive our sins, yes, so that we might be reconciled That we might call God our Father again. And He might look at us and and not only see that we're no longer sinners because He's forgiven that, but He can look at us with love and delight and say, My sons, my daughters, welcome home. I want to make you new. if you're looking for some place to begin or begin again, this is the place and I'll tell you, it's life changing just to get this right to know what the point is and to know what the point isn't And for Paul, the guy that we've been studying today, uh, this was a life-changing thing for him. Paul was at one time a guy who went around killing Christians. He was an enemy of God, and then Jesus appeared, and he not only forgave Paul, but but he reconciled himself with Paul. He began to live in Paul, and Paul began to live in him, and it changed Paul's life. He went around the world, and Paul became a bridge builder. Everywhere he went, and, and he brought together Jews and Greeks and slaves and free people and men and women and near and far he brought people together see if, if our world's ever ever going to become less divided it begins here today with us but it doesn't begin with some grand plan or twelve steps or any it begins first the first step receive this invitation from our God again today to live with him as his to be his to be reconciled in relationship with him to live and move and have our being in him that's where it starts so today let me pray for us for that first step father in heaven thank you Thank you for sending Jesus to build a bridge. And Father, thank you for not letting our acts of sabotage and rebellion and fear and, and, and the pride and the, and, the, and the shame and all the things that get in the way of this invitation for you. Thank you for not letting those things ultimately get in the way. Thanks for triumphing over our evil and still holding out this amazing invitation to live life in Christ, to be yours. Father, I pray today that no matter who we are, whether we've known you for a long time or whether we're just exploring and discovering who you are, uh, whether this is an invitation we've already accepted or, or, Father, maybe this is something brand new for us, that today you would impress upon us, you would weigh upon us this invitation to relationship, to be yours. And Father, I pray that we, beginning to take hold as a people together of your reconciling work, that uh, you would use us then and the rest of the world to be bridge builders too. I pray this in Jesus. Amen.